Welcome to Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. In this episode, I take you through the journey of John and Samson. Samson is essentially food aggressive, but it is a little more involved than that. Following that is the snippets piece, which looks at a common trick or training exercise, and I explain how it can be elevated to a more useful exercise. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host, creator of Upward Dogology, and successful dogologist for over two decades. This is the second episode after the five-part miniseries, which included a short trailer and four full episodes. Welcome to the journey of my client, John, and his dog, Samson. John got Samson from a reputable breeder as a puppy and raised him as a family pet. He went to class training and did lots of activities and socialization. John lives alone. His kids are grown. He has a very structured life as far as routines go, and Samson fits right in. So life was easy, and there were no problems. He had grandkids and lived on a park setting, so Samson was good with kids and dogs and non-reactive to bikes, that type of thing. In his early 60s, John got sick and felt it best to rehome Samson, who was five years old at that time. Being a popular breed for a family pet and healthy and well cared for, many people were interested in adopting him. John hired me because he tried three times to home Samson, and he was returned each time due to signs of aggression, which the adopters were not expecting, and since they had young children, they returned him within the first week. I asked John about the three different situations. The first one, the family was in a large vehicle heading to the cottage. Samson was in the back seat and the, da- the dad sorry, reached back to get food from one of the bags on the floor behind the passenger seat. Samson bit him. Samson had not tried to get the food or showed any signs of aggression or discomfort prior to that and the people that the people had noticed. In the second adoption trial, Samson was hanging out with the family in their open concept dining, excuse me, living area. He was under the table with a chewy bone. All was good. One of the young children dropped food from the table. Samson went to bite the mom when she went to get the piece of food. In the third adoption trial, Samson was eating from his food bowl in the sort of smallish kitchen. His food bowl was in the corner by the door that led to the downstairs and the outside. When people walked by, he would growl, stop eating, and get very stiff. So that's the info I learned from John, who got this info from those potential adopters. John had a very regimented feeding routine. He put the food down, told Samson to go to his place, which was about three feet from the bowl. John walked away and told Samson to go eat. While Samson ate breakfast, John showered, and when Samson ate dinner, John read in his living room. I asked John to do the same feeding routine, but instead of leaving the room to shower or read, I asked him to walk back to Samson. Samson growled. I asked John if he ever took food away from Samson. No, there was really no need. He could take toys and chewies and bones away. Seems like food aggression or resource guarding of food, right? Sort of. And the common suggestions for food aggression are often hand feeding or walking by the dog when he's eating and dropping kibble. 
This is the exact wrong approach, mainly because the goal of those techniques is to show dogs that people are nice and food is good and that they will always get food. That's not the problem with Samson. He likes people and he likes food and he's always been fed. Even with dogs over six months of age who are nervous of people or hesitant to eat, these techniques can be ineffective because dogs view the people as tricking them or they do not correlate the food with the people. So assessing the problem as resource guarding or food aggression is not incorrect, but it is a bit of a blanket statement. We need to dig a bit deeper than that. In my book, I talk about the dog's perception of factors determining the behavior. I thought perhaps the aggression may be a result of Samson's perception of an area. Perhaps he felt confined because in the three situations, the car under a table and in a corner feeding spot, those would be perceived as confined. John did the feeding routine in an open area and Samson reacted the same when John went near his bowl. So that eliminated that. Additionally, John ate in his car regularly with Samson in it, and Samson did not try to get the food or prevent John from getting it. I asked John if he used a similar routine to get Samson in and out of the car as he did to get to the food bowl. He had to think about this, but said yes, he uses similar routine, but not the words go eat. John regularly fed Samson people food in his kitchen and living room. When he did this, John used the same routine as the food bowl to allow Samson to get to the snacks, which were usually carrots. I got John to put the dog food on the floor instead of in the bowl, but in the same spot the bowl would normally be, and do the same routine. Then do the same routine again, but instead of leaving the area, walk back to the feeding spot while he was eating. In this case, there was no growling, and John could take the food. I then asked John to do the same routine using people food. Samson growled when it was in the bowl, but not when it was on the floor. So Samson's behavior was affected by two factors. One, the implementation of the routine in areas with food and his perception of food in the food bowl. So far, we have adhered to the approach of upper dogology to segregate, eliminate, and correlate. Well, we have done the segregation and elimination part. There is no right or wrong to these exercises. They simply tell us the reason for the behavior based on Samson's perception of factors. Factors are discussed in my book and podcast miniseries. The way in which we address the problem needs to correlate to the reason for the behavior. The first step we need to take is to change Samson's perception that our goal is to get the food and that he needs to growl or bite in order to achieve his goal of keeping the food. For this reason, the dominance approach of winning or taking the food is counterproductive and will often heighten the unwanted behavior. One of the approaches of upper dogology is never rush to your end goal. The end goal is to be able to calmly walk towards Samson or reach and get the food near him or from him, but we need to change his perception first. So to change Samson's perception of our goal, we use one of the techniques of upper dogology upper dogology, which is teaching opportunities. One of the most common teaching opportunities are routines. Because John had routines for the morning time, walking, getting to the car, etc., we had plenty of opportunities using opportunity-driven rewards to strengthen the command-based exercises. In fact, John used commands 
during many of his routines. We built off of these to establish transferable exercises, which acted as our platform. By calmly managing all situations, we taught Samson that he can achieve his goal by adhering to the transferable skills. Samson achieved his goals by adhering to the transferable exercises, and we then applied those exercises, the same ones, to manage situations with food. Food and treats did not convince Samson or change his perception of us. The exercises did. The introduction of food, which is the negative factor in this situation, was introduced after we changed his perception of our goal and our ability to manage situations and factors. When we introduced the food, the focus was off the food. That is another approach of upward dogology. Never focus on the negative. In this case, the food is the negative factor. We do not rush to the end goal of taking the food. We use the exercises to change Samson's perception when food is present. We did not tell Samson it was wrong to growl or bite but instead provided him with the skills to learn he does not need to bite or growl and nothing different happens. We can then advance to address our goals of walking to the food bowl and taking the food away by implementing the commands and the exercises proactively to prevent Samson's brain from going over to food protection zone. That is how cognitive behavioral therapy works. It literally proactively prevents dogs from feeling the need to go over there. The specific exercises, commands, and techniques vary with each dog and situation. Upward dogology creatively incorporates the core tools, approaches, commands, and techniques, or ACT, A-C-T. I talk about these in my book. In order to home Samson, we taught those exercises and routines to the adopter. This is very important, as Samson's perception of people and their goals needs to be changed with each person, and we know how to do that. This is not the case with all dogs. Sometimes dogs just stop doing the unwanted behavior. But for the most part, it is best to learn what the dog knows and apply it. To quote Will Rogers, If you get to thinking you're a person of some influence, try ordering someone else's dog around. The transferable skills act as comfort and consistency. We taught those to the adopters, resulting in a successful adoption. The snippets piece for this episode is the difference between tricks and training, or I guess essentially how to elevate tricks to useful transferable exercises. I'm going to use the common training exercise or trick where the trainer puts the treat on the dog's nose or on the floor and gets them to stay like that for an extended length of time. The goal of that exercise is to increase the length of time the dog remains in a stay or wait. Occasionally, the trainer will move during this trick, such as out of the room or even do a jumping jack. The dog wants the treat, not the trainer. So the person moving, the trainer moving, is not advancing this exercise. Because the treat is not moving, it is a very low-level exercise. For most issues I get asked to address, movement of a subject is involved, whether that is a door opening or a person or a dog or a rabbit, and irrelevant of whether the dog is scared or excited, movement is a common trigger. For this reason, the treat needs to move while the dog remains in the stay or wait position. In other words, the treat should not be viewed only as the reward, but as the distraction that allows the exercise to be advanced and transferable.
The treat is not the useful transferable part. The exercise and the commands taught are the transferable skill. The treat ultimately is the reward. But because it is contrived, it is still a low-level exercise and also relying on the stay or wait command to address unwanted behaviors or teach expected behaviors is often unsuccessful. So teaching tricks using treats is a fun and simple way to engage your dog, otherwise known as canine enrichment. Just try to think about why you are teaching them and how you can adapt and advance them so they can act as a transferable skill. Please follow me on Instagram, Upward Dogology, and on my Facebook page, which highlights my clients both hands-on and remotely. That is Doglogic Behavioral Rehabilitation. There are a few Doglogic pages, so make sure to get the right one. My LinkedIn is Billy Groom. If you are interested in working together or becoming a certified Upward Dogologist, you can visit my website, upwarddogology.com. My book, The Art of Urban People with Adopted and Rescued Dogs Methodology, is available through Amazon, most ebook retailers, and my publisher, Friesen Press. The music in this podcast series is generously provided by the Jeff Murtick Band off the album Outrun the Sunrise. They are a funky reggae blues band from Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. You can check them out on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy your learning journey. Oh,